Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to what I'm assuming is going to be a packed Total Soccer Show episode. Does it need to be? Probably not, but we're discussing the soccer tournament, so that could be five minutes or it could be 45 minutes. We'll find out. Also, Phil Neville has been fired. The CONCACAF Champions League final went the way the CONCACAF Champions League finals often tend to go. And the U.S. roster for the upcoming Nations League finals is set. We'll be doing some lineup predicting and debating ahead of the semifinal against Mexico. My name is Taylor Rockwell. To help me get through all of that, maybe more things, our two friends up first, the hardest working man in soccer. It's David Goss. David, always on the road, databases of player info, screaming about D-Row sitters uh, in a 7v7 tournament. How are you in five places at once? Let's talk about it. Um, it's actually called the internet. I'm actually nowhere at any point. I sit in a central <laughs> location and I just uh, put my voice in different places. I feel like that is how the internet works in yeah, some you ways. Could possibly but- at this point, if you were broadcasting, you could technically like do it from home and broadcast like five events around the world over the course of one day. I did think you were like in the stadium for these games or in the arena or the Thunderdome. We'll call it the Thunderdome. Uh, and But you were there on location, right? I so- was. I was sitting in a pod in the mm-hmm. parking lot. That's in- everyone's favorite. Everyone's <laughs> from a monitor situation. next to the game. It's, there's like no better way to spend a spring day in, you know, beautiful Raleigh, North Carolina. <laughs> than in the pod. Pod life. Um, so I'm, I am literally a podcaster now. Boom, bum, bum, ba, dum, bum, shit. Mm. Uh, Joe, Taylor, let him sit in that silence. Joe, let Taylor, him sit can I get a sound silence. effect on the back of this guy? Come on. <laughs> oh, my bad. My bad. There you go. Whoa, you actually had it. <laughs> I don't know if uh, the recording is going to pick that up, but I did, in uh, fact, will not. play it the drums. Not. It there won't. You go. Uh, we're going to talk more about the soccer tournament in just a second, uh, but I want to introduce our other co host joining us is also the hardest working man in soccer. It's Joe Lowry. (laughs) Joe, as I said, we're going to be uh, creating our starting 11s for the U.S. uh, in the Nations League. My assumption is that you tried to do this multiple times and kept getting distracted writing Balogun and Reyna over and over again, possibly with little hearts around them. Is that accurate? Well, that's that's exactly what happened, Taylor. And the problem is you can write each of their names five times and you get Mm -hmm. to 10 players. But like, how do you choose the 11th? I mean, is it Balogun? Is it Reyna? Is it some sort of like couple ship name with the two of them together. I don't really know how this is going to work, but I basically just ended up going with 10 players to save myself the headache and the heartache. I assumed your goalkeeper was Mr. Joe Balligan, Reyna Lowry. That's how you kind of found your way through. That was the first draft. And actually scrap everything I just said. I forgot. I just put Matt Turner. I can't, I can't leave Matt (laughs) ET off the the squad. Can't do it. You got to stay on brand. Uh, Speaking of on brand, uh, Joe, I wanted to ask you before we get into the soccer tournament, do you feel bad that you single-handedly uh, led Aiden Morris to choose a different country other than the United States? 
I can't escape the Twitter discourse about this. And honestly, I don't really want to because I think it's great. Uh, we had a big argument, not a, like as big as the arguments get. They here. were so mad. <laughs> I had to, I had to hold us. them apart digitally. It was very, very uncomfortable. Goss and I Jim argued. There's still a hole uh, in the wall right here behind my camera. <laughs> 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 that was how I felt. It's an Aiden Morris shaped hole as he ran through it to get the camera. Yeah. Goss thinks Aiden Morris is the greatest soccer player to ever live, and I don't. And that's what the argument was about. And it's bled under the Twitter sphere at this point, and we can't stop it. It's too late. It's going to spread until we die. Do you watch the Americans, or are you a history person at all? I'll answer that for Joe. Uh, No, and then yes, kind of. So you know like when when you learn about history things, where when people get turned, it's always like the weirdest moment, right? Like Benedict Arnold is like the most American person, but then all of a sudden it's like one little slight. And then the right timed question, yes. and then you get turned. That's Joe Larry. Uh, Which, if anyone going to be Canadian, I'm so I'm so no. You turned right Aiden Morris. Yeah, oh. Aiden Morris came into training yesterday in red, white, and blue underwear with a tattoo on his heart of mm-hmm. the United States flag. And then he heard you on a podcast, and he was like, "Hmm, Canada sounds nice." Yep, that sounds about right. I talked with Aiden Morris for like two and a half minutes uh, in April when the USMNT was out here in Phoenix, and he seemed like a great guy. We had a nice conversation, uh, a short conversation, but a nice one. So one-sided very confident about that conversation. I'm very confident that it left zero impression on Aiden Morris, and he still has no clue who I am. So I think jo- we're good on that front. Joe's first question was, don't you just love Tim Hortons? Isn't it better man, than Dunkin' Donuts? Man, and that really syrup. was the start of it. Right, yeah. guys? Am I right? <laughs> Let's hit all the stereotypes, shall we? Um, also, Done. I like uh, Goss revealing that he watched Turn Washington Spies, I'm guessing. Turn Washington Spies? No, you did not. Oh, that Benedict uh, Benedict Arnold switching sides is a key part of that show. Oh, Turn, so. the TV show. Yeah, of yeah. course I watched it because it took place on Long Island. It did, but it was filmed in Richmond. We're bonded no, for life, David. Boo. We're bonded for life. <laughs> Hurtful. Hurtful. But I'm boos. also a history nerd, so I already knew all those stories. Hey. But they were good. We we have the historical placards in Richmond, you know, that mark different events, most of them shameful, uh, yeah. but uh, there are a few to be proud of. But there are a lot tracking Benedict, Ar- uh, Benedict Arnold's successes as an American general. And it's very strange to be like, oh, but there's the one where he was leading British soldiers. It's an odd switch that he did. It's in like British fans talking about Florian Balogun's goals. You can yeah. enjoy them from before he switched, but not after he switched. I found He's out Arthur there. Miller lived a block over from me yesterday looking at a placard. Cool stuff. There you go. We're learning important things today. And this is, okay, the sudden realization of information is how I learned that David Goss was doing commentary for the soccer tournament. Let's start with that in a segment I'm calling Joe and Taylor Pepper Goss with questions about the soccer tournament. Um, Goss, tuning in, I was already into it. Is this I watched, a weekly or a monthly segment? It's up to them and you, okay. depending on how often you're doing it. But I, the first game I watched, you were not doing comms. And I was like, all right, that was an enjoyable experience. The second game, you were... I am not blowing smoke. It was, it, was, it was doubly as enjoyable because you clearly got so into it, especially with the way uh, it would end and then it would be the next goal wins, theoretically. Uh, I really enjoyed how enthusiastically you were calling those games. Uh, what was the experience like for you, aside from being a literal podcaster? Um, it was fairly chaotic, which I enjoy. Like, I cover, as you guys know, I cover a lot of the youth stuff. Tournaments are chaos because, like, one guy shows up and then he's not on the roster and now this person's hurt and this team's the favorite. Now they've lost 4-0. Now they have to get back into the group. Like that's the nature of, I think, tournaments. Maybe the World Cup's different because it's like spaced out a week for each team and whatever, where these are like always like three games in five days. Let's see what happens. Um, 
And that kind of was the experience, but it had energy. Like the players cared. The soccer was good. The spacing of the field and the timing made it so that everything was like dangerous. And what was fun for me was watching people who I know know the game figure it out over the course of three games. Like we can't, I play sevens every Monday and like we struggle immensely. Like, what is our game plan? What yep. the hell are we doing? And so it was fun to watch Dwayne De Rosario and Clint Dempsey and Patrick Coutrone try and figure out the same things over the course of three to five games. And that was actually really cool as well. But in general, the event was great. Like, I, I think the crowd was maybe even better than they expected. It was full at almost all times, both in the stadium and then out around the field. And like I, my favorite thing every year is I go to the U.S. Open tennis the first round because I like to walk to all of the courts outside the stadium. Mm -hmm. And that's was sort of the vibe outside over the course of the group stage. We just we just can't get away from tennis. Taylor. Every, everybody except the two of us are like all in on tennis all the time. Um, Gus, I love that. And, and now I will pepper my first question in your direction. So you mentioned all those those former players and a lot of big names there. Like who, who was the best? Like who still has it? I watched. I didn't watch as much of this. I think as Taylor did. Uh, the the one game that really stood out is I watched some of Conrad and Beasley United, and so I saw Jimmy Conrad in the back rocking it out a little bit, and he looked good. Like he looked good. He, he looked he looked very strong as as a center back in there. I know sometimes it was a two, sometimes it was a three. Like what? Who, who had the? Who still had the sauce? Is what I want to know. I think D Rose high up on that list, and it fit okay. him so well. Of like. He became a target forward where he could beat anyone even back to goal on the half turn because his feet are absurd. Um, so he was high on that list. Um, he was one, while you think, David, I'll say he was one watching uh, because for people who don't know what we're talking about, it's a seven-a-side tournament. Uh, the way it worked is, let's say, Joe is beating Goss 5-4 uh, to four at the end of regulation in your face. David, uh, the way the rules work then is that uh, Joe, Joe had five, David had four. So the first team to score six wins. So it gives Joe the advantage, but then every what five minutes that play would, would go on, they'd have to take off a player. And so I think in the first game I watched D Rose team, I think that was Conrad Beasley United had, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. They had, I think three players or two or three players taken off. And I watched him consistently be the one who was organizing and telling people like, no, 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 don't go there. Don't go there. Nope. Don't step there. Nope. Don't drop back. Like he was definitely the one pulling strings, even if he himself was missing sitters. Uh, so I, I agree with you. I watched him uh, do some organizing and keep things uh, running smoothly. Uh, so he stood out for me. Another big one was Luis Boamorte. If you remember that name, he I was a former, I believe name. Fulham and then West Ham guy, right. like in the two thousands. He came with the West Ham like mm. um, legends team and he looked like he did 12 to 15 years ago when he was a fully professional, like Portuguese wow. international player. Um, that was another one that stood out to me. And that was like also the best part of this whole thing was you would like look at a roster and then the rosters were kind of set up in like a different way than a normal one is because it's this type of tournament. So you'd see a name and you'd be like, is that who I think that is? And you'd like, obviously, Luis Balmorte is not one of those, but. Other names like Roman Torres are like fairly common names where you're like, is that the guy I think that's going to yeah. be? And then you click in and then you're like, oh, that's definitely the guy I think that's <laughs> Wait, sorry. Sorry. Roman Torres was at this tournament, guys. He was on a Dallas team that ended up getting kicked out because of racism. So I never actually ah. saw him play. Gotcha. But he was a part of this at some point. Um, so so Conrad, yeah. Conrad and Beasley United, though. Beasley definitely didn't coaching play. on the sidelines. Yeah, didn't Conrad play. playing. Does yeah. that tell us the hierarchy of power there? 
Yeah, pretty much. Demarcus was like, nah, dude, I'm good. I played in the Champions League semifinal. I'm fine. And Jamie's like, I need a taste of this one <laughs> more time. I mean, Clint put together a team that was clearly like people he liked. Yeah. Uh, and then he like felt very strongly about giving players who came from a background like him that was a bit unknown, like a platform. If you're friends with someone, that doesn't always mean they're the best person for the job. And so his team got smoked in the final game by AJ Delagarza's crew. And like Lee Wynn was on that team. Um, and it was kind of a squad, but it was like Jermaine's in amazing shape, Jermaine Jones, because he works out a lot. I don't think it's soccer shape. I think it's more like MMA bodybuilder shape. But yeah. Jermaine Jones organizes. And so every time something would happen, it would be someone else's fault. I would say the best moment of the tournament was Luis Robles was playing in goal for Dempsey's team and like working hard um, because he's like making saves. He's all over the place. This kid comes on the field for their team. And Luis is just screaming 22, 22, 22, 22. And the kid finally turns around and he was a Michigan state grad. He's like 22. He just graduated. He was like three time all big 10. Like he could play soccer. He just was different than everyone else on the roster. And he think he turned around being like, what am I doing wrong? And Luis goes, what's your name? And he's like, I can't give you directions if I don't know your name. And they've clearly never spoken before. Now they're on the field <laughs> in a competitive game that they were losing at the time. And it was kind of like, I looked around at that moment and like Hopwell Tel Aviv's walking behind me. Noah Beck was going up the stairs with Borussia Dortmund. There's like a bunch of fans wearing the most random jerseys you've ever Where seen. Where am I? Right and I was now? like, what <laughs> is this? Well, can I, can I ask another question in that vein, Gus? Because I, I, uh, growing up, I was much more of an NFL fan than a soccer fan. And so seeing Chad Ochocinco in the soccer tournament is, is like a fun blast from the past. I, I, I have two questions because I want to seek them both in before we have to go to break. If, if we have to go to break. Uh, is Chad Ochocinco good at soccer? And then second question, unrelated, at every American soccer event ever, there's like late night shenanigans and activities. Oh, I feel Joe, like. Joe, I've got like five questions. Okay. On this one. All right. Go ahead, well, go ahead, yeah. Maybe just Transition to sort of lead us into that. Um, <laughs> like, just just tell us about it. What, what was like? Give me give me the shenanigans. Who's up? Who's out? Who's like who's drinking? What's give me the give me the scoop. Uh, addendum to that. Did the athlete village make the athlete village at the Olympics look like Salt Lake City <laughs> on a Sunday morning? I can't. You guys, NDA. I can't answer any of those questions for you. I can say Channel Chosinko's delightful. And Bad he soccer. can right. play okay. soccer. <laughs> I think in this tournament, if they had gone far, Natty SC was a team, by the way, for me, that I was stoked about because it was all USL FC Cincinnati players, mainly who didn't come to MLS, but like were the teams that dominated in USL or were good. Dominate is probably the strong term. And then him. Um, if they had gone further, I think he would have had to come off the field. Like, you were not going to win the minutes he was on the field. And as the games mattered more, you were in danger of losing the moments, you know, losing 1-0-2-0-2-1 because of him being on the field. Um, but he can play soccer. Like, he can juggle the ball, touch the ball. And obviously, he's he is the skinniest person on the planet. I have no idea how that guy survived in the NFL. I get it. He's really fast. But, like, on a field of soccer players, he's the skinny guy. Really? I guess yeah. that is surprising to me. But his yeah, legs no, he, are twigs. His legs look like Demarcus Beasley's. That, now I don't know what to make of this world anymore. Uh, other than I have more questions for you, including that when I realized it was a four-day tournament, 
my thoughts immediately went to how many teams would be playing with hungover personnel uh, yeah. in at least a couple of those games. W- it was, was that a thing that you could uh, spot spotlight or you could notice in a few of the games? I think it actually hit worse on the first game. I think they all got in and were so excited oh, to see yeah, each yeah. other. And then in the first game, there was a moment where I was like, or in the round of first games, where some of these teams, like Dempsey's team, is losing. And I'm like, I think some of these guys are just going to disappear. Like, I think some, uh, the fa- looks on some of these faces were like, yeah, I don't really need this. Like, <laughs> this guy's playing, su- you know, these yeah. kids or these indoor players or whatever are playing super hard. The space on the field is not really what I'm used to. I didn't need to fly across the country for this. And I was a little worried that people were going to, like, disappear. Or, like, second day we'd get the roster to be, like, DNPs for, like, five people who play in the World Cup. Thankfully, that didn't happen. They all just got hurt. So they stayed, oh. but uh, injuries <laughs> good, were a I big guess. concern. Jade Demerit worked himself so hard to get back that apparently he tore his hamstring last oh week. Oh my. Trying to work himself back into shape. So he came as a coach. Wow. Yeah. All right. I mean, that's dedication at least. Yeah. I did. I did think watching it that they timed it perfectly. Cause if you tried to do this a month later in North Carolina, yeah, I nope. feel like pe- people are passing out within five minutes of playing. So uh, I'm glad that we didn't get that. I'm glad that we did get uh, a very entertaining time. And I think my favorite thing was the the winning goal. Uh, it's just like it's just smiling faces everywhere. Like there's everybody storms. There's cameras uh, taking pictures. But it seems like a lot of people ran on. I don't know. It just seemed like everybody was was very happy and had a very good uh, time there. Like the energy was very positive, I think, at least from a person watching through a screen. And I think that's what you want at the end of a tournament like this. Yeah, I guess I got one more question for you. Sorry. I don't have a good feel of how many people are on a roster because like the big appeal, I think what first made the basketball tournament, you know, like exciting is, is there's like a million dollar prize, right? And, and a million dollars is is a lot of money, even as inflation makes it less and less money. Like (laughs) in this tournament, you you only need seven players on the field. How, how many ways is this pie being split? It depended on the team. There was a decent amount of teams that brought 18 players. Wow. Okay. Which was not the easiest to prepare for. I was like, oh, it's sevens. Great. It'll be 10 guys a team. I'll just put my notes together. We'll roll in. On Thursday, my first game kicked off at 9.45 a.m. There was a gap between day session and evening session, like a two and a half hour break. My last game kicked off at 10.45 p.m. So I was there for like 14 hours calling games straight through. One or two were doubles because teams played twice the first day and then played again. But they were pretty much you're studying unique rosters. And in my head, I was like, sevens, easy. And then they put 18 players, which I get. You're coming for, you're hoping, what, five days? You're hoping you're going to play six games? Like, you want to give yourself some breathing space. It was a lot of players. The way that they were broken up in terms of money, my understanding is it was like pre-decided before what people would get. So it was part of the like recruitment pitch was if we win, You'll get this Newtown Pride FC one, which is a team out of Newtown, Connecticut. Um, they've they won 2019. They won the amateur championship. So they were the best lower division amateur team in the country. They were going to go to US Open Cup, but it didn't happen because of COVID. But they're I as a Northeast guy, they are a team that has now been around a lot where like they'll play an open cup. A lot of teams will play them in friendlies, like Red Bulls two, Revs two, NYCFC two, like those teams will play them in friendlies a lot. Um, and they raise money for local charities, which, of course, is where the Sandy Hook shooting was. So that's part of what they do. They won the whole tournament. And it was bizarre because 
at first, most of the teams I talked to were the teams with the Conrads and the Dempsey's because I know those guys more. And like they were coming on the field and I kind of would just pepper them for 15 minutes before each game of like, what's your sub game plan? Like, what's your strategy here? Like, are you doing hockey subs? Are you guys going to take the ball to the right side, sub on the left, and then hit the guy subbing in for like a long ball? Like, what? And they were all like, "Mm, we hadn't really thought about it. Then I started talking to the other teams and the coach of that team, who was a super nice guy, Onoa Abasi, who had played, I covered him at Rochester. I was like, so what's the deal with the million dollars? And he goes, eh, I hadn't really thought about it. Like we came to win. And I was like, I don't know, man. Million dollars sounds like a lot to think about. So I don't <laughs> did, know. Did he say that while he was like stuffing a check into his bag? Exactly, like, I don't yeah. know. I don't know what we're going to do with it. <laughs> so he was like, eh, I don't really know. And I do think for the clubs like that, there's payout to the players. And then I think it's like, okay, as a club, what can we do with $500,000? Yeah. Like, can we build a field? Can we rent a permanent space? Can we you know, pay for fees for people for the next eight years. Like, and I think they're the, one of their owners, that's a father, son tweeted out yesterday, a thread basically saying like this, we're going to evaluate what to do with it. Hmm. I think they did say that they had pledged a certain amount of, they did. Yeah. Sandy Hook. Yeah. yeah. You said so. So I think that, that is, is certainly commendable and uh, made me happy that they ended up winning it. Uh, I want to say on a sincere note, like, I will try not to end this in a joke because when when I get emotionally sincere, then I get. Can I say one thing before you get emotionally sincere? Go ahead. ahead. I think it was really cool that the two teams that got to the final were teams where the million dollars would change their reality. One was a Canadian uh, team that was made of. I don't know. Do you guys know League One Ontario? Is that a thing that pops in your head? Mm. Or like Joe's already Joe's already established as being anti. Yeah, true. Or pro Canada. I'm not sure what you are with the Aiden Moore. So League One Ontario is like sort of like PDL in Canada. And in the when you talk about all the players on the Canadian national team that TFC missed out on because TFC was terrible is I don't know which term you want to use at recruiting in their academy, they all played in League One Ontario, which for New Yorkers like the Cosmopolitan Soccer League, where it's like all of the ethnicities have a team. You have the Italian team, the Portuguese team, the Greek team, the Haitian team, the Jamaican team, and then all of the good soccer players go and play in it. And a lot of colleges recruit players by like finding them there. And so this team was sort of like an all-star team of that. So it was really cool. And they've now expanded to Quebec and British Columbia. It was really cool. But in the end, I think it was really cool that it wasn't just like Dortmund versus West Ham. And I think Dortmund specifically, I think all of these teams set the stage of like, no one knew what it would be. And now as you get video from this year, when teams try and enter for next year or get recruited, I don't know which way it'll work. It'll be like, this is the expectation. Like you can't show up with six social media people, one former player and like a youth academy coach and be like, oh, we'll just work everyone like this is the level. And I think these two teams specifically and the teams that did well showed like you have to take it seriously and you have to sort of have these elements. I kind of want one of those teams as a result to take it way too seriously. Amazing. And like next year, Dortmund's preseason tour starts with the soccer yeah. tournament. They bring their actual team. Man like, City right, finishes, <laughs> finishes <laughs> the uh, le- uh, the FA Cup final, yeah. get on a plane. And then it's just Holland De Bruyne at the 7v7 tournament. It might be it might be slightly more challenging than Manchester United were last weekend. Uh, Goss, the <laughs> thing I wanted to say was I think it is a massive credit to you as a person because, as I said, like you do so many games, you you call so many games, and and rarely I will say rarely, but I have never heard you do the uh, Richmond with the ball, give it away to Chattanooga, Chattanooga on the ball. You don't do the kind of like that's what I always have to do when I'm doing commentary. You know the players, and that stood out to me in that first game that I watched of yours that. 
they were seven guys who I didn't know who they were, but you were you were like aware of them. But then as the game progressed, you're very good at like letting characteristics of their game dictate how you you discuss them and so you'd be like okay the flamboyant dribbler he's in the ball he's trying to like overly elaborate there like it just it starts to build the narrative you're very good at building a narrative with the players within the game so it helps to understand then the context of the game so i think it's incredible that in those 14 hours a lot of people would have just been like all right i'm done i'm zoning out until the next game and i feel like you i'm gonna guess made an effort in the ga- gaps to like learn players' names and remember players' numbers. And I think that that makes you uh, very good at what you do and very good at who you are. So Thank just you. wanted to I, say, well I done I appreciate that all the faking actually pays off in the end. So yeah, man. Yeah. that's good to hear. Can I, <laughs> can, I, can I finish that out with a negative thought for us oh, to go to break? Sure. In watching the USU 20s against Uruguay, I was like, Everything this broadcaster does is everything I hate about people that broadcast sports. And if uh, if there is a hell, it is listening to that dude broadcast solo high-level games by himself. And uh, that is what I leave everyone with. Jo- Joe was on comms. For game. <laughs> <laughs> Joe was the old British guy who was being super negative for 90 minutes during a U20 uh, So game. what was it? Because I, I think I tend to, to tune out. It, and I watched most of the tournament in Spanish, so maybe that mm-hmm. also is jarring. It's a one-man broadcast, like an old British guy, mm-hmm. who clearly took the FIFA research they give him, which is like high-level stuff, didn't learn that much himself, leaned on like six or seven cliches, tried to anticipate the play incorrectly like 15 times. Oh, I thought he was going to shoot there. He's going to go shoot. No, he's not. Yeah, dude, just say it after. You're not going to be <laughs> wrong if you say he shot after he shot. But there was so much negativity. And it's one of those things. I do a lot of youth tournaments. So I've like talked to people a lot about what language are we going to use? Ball over the top. Taking down shot. You start with, it's a great run and it's a great ball before he should have done better there. Right? And this guy started and ended with, the player sucks. They made a mistake. The players are bad. The players aren't good. I mean, he ended the game in like the 71st minute. He's like, Uruguay on to the semifinals. Like, all right, dude. And like, I get that I'm a U.S. fan, but that's not what bothered me. And my wife came in and she goes, what is this? Yeah. So, yeah, all of that stuff is all of what I hate. I appreciate like when a a neutral party can be like, wait a minute, this is not what it's supposed to be. Um, Yeah. And I think from our from the brief time we did uh, commentary for the Richmond Kickers, it is that tricky thing of if the game starts poorly and you sort of let that be the narrative, it's really difficult when you're talking live to escape that. And then suddenly in the 15th minute, you're like, ah, that was bad again. And then it gets to be not fun for for the person doing it. So I'm glad that you actively try to avoid that. And uh, I like to now know what your purgatory is so that uh, I can try to find a way to make that happen. If you want to torture me, call that guy up and be like, hey, man, I got a free trip to New York City and a guy you can hang out with. Let's get him on the show, Taylor. Let's let's get him on the show next Tuesday. I don't think I've ever said anything negative about a commentator out like on whatever, but I could not. That was so bad. I wish I could just like wheel out a frame and then that guy wheeled in. But then he'd be uh, living in my home with me and that would be odd. Uh, On that note, I'm going to send us to break. We'll be back to talk about the U.S. roster in just a second. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back. We appreciate you sticking with us because now it's time to talk U.S. roster, Joe. We did a little bit of conversing about this one last week uh, when the roster dropped as we were recording, uh, but we haven't had a ton of time uh, to spend on it. I'm assuming your thoughts have evolved and you're now either elated or furious. Yeah, I've just been sitting here working on like a BJ Callahan, like all the King's men Humpty Dumpty rhyme, like like all of the all these players are BJ Callahan's. I can't figure out how to do it exactly. Um, uh, I, I'm just still stuck on Callahan's man. Oh boy, that's what Goss you're is going to do go it. For? Uh, I, I'm just a big fan of Ryan Bailey uh, consistently calling him Patches O'Houlihan instead of BJ Callahan. <laughs> that's that, was, that was that was pretty solid work by Ryan. I, but yes, we I have will our say roster. I'm in a Canadian soccer group chat. Yeah, of course There's you are. One Goss. exists, and I'm in are. it. And the just pure glee on the fact that like the former Villanova coach is coaching the U.S. right now. That I, which is deserving. Hey. Hey, former UVA coach did quite well. Former Princeton coach? Did Bob Bradley coach Princeton or just go there? He coached, he coached Princeton. No, he coached yeah. Princeton and Ohio. So, there you go. But they also coaches, coached baby. professional teams in between. Ah, <laughs> uh, we don't need to talk about that, David. That doesn't help the argument. And, and lacrosse <laughs> teams and lacrosse teams either True. simultaneously or before. It. So True. I think there is a lot of, of positive things to be said about all these people. Um, to actually loop it back around to the roster. I just got thinking ahead because we have a question on tomorrow's show about like why do these games matter, and so I've been I've been thinking about that more and more. We'll talk about that tomorrow, not not today. But I, I think it's a strong Joe, squad. Okay, Gus wants to talk about I, it today. Yeah. Oh, no, I, just, I said I didn't. don't don't talk about it. Oh, That's okay. tomorrow. Fair enough. D- did you guys know that Carlo Ancelotti recently spent two years as the Drake Bulldogs head coach? That was a new one. I did not know that. I just found that one out via Wikipedia. Sorry, Joe. You were he's saying. a huge fan of the March at the Arch. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. <laughs> In fairness, oh. didn't Santiago Solari play college soccer? Dude, of course. David, why are you asking us as though you don't know? <laughs> he played D3 college soccer in New Jersey because hey, his dad liked it that's when my he was level, staying baby. there for the 1994 World Cup. It's it's a uh, lot easier to draw a line between Taylor and Santiago Solari than I thought yeah. it would be. That's Yeah, he, that's played at the, he played for the Stockton University Ospreys, located so in, I don't know, San somewhere Francisco, in New Jersey. I'm no, Galloway, New Jersey. Oh, okay. The other way. The other way. With it. Uh, it was like somewhere near water. Isn't Stockton, California? Anyway, it doesn't yeah, matter. There is Joe, one, there is one, back yeah. to you. Talk about In conclusion, it's a, it's a good squad. It's a really good squad for the U.S. men's national team. So I want to start with the absences, right? I think that's, that's the place where people will oftentimes draw their eyes first because we're expecting to see certain players that are not there. The biggest one for this window is Tyler Adams and, and his absence could have a ripple effect on what the midfield looks like, both in terms of personnel and maybe in terms of shape. So he's not available. Tim Ream is currently training with the team in L.A., but he's got a broken arm, and so he's not going to be playing in either of this summer's competitions. He's just rehabbing down, down in L.A. with the rest of the team right now. No CCV, who suffered an injury for Celtic and is, is rehabbing a bit as well. No Josh Sargent, so he's out with a little knock for, for Norwich. Nothing big, but it was, it was enough that it didn't make sense for him to come and play in this competition. And then Zach Steffen and Ethan Horvath are both away which created a window for Josh Cohen to get called up, which I think is a lot of fun. And, and we talked about a bit a, a bit about that, excuse me, on the Patreon last week. So with those absences acknowledged, 
I really like the group that's in here. It's basically the first choice group minus Tyler Adams, which is a big minus, but plus Falloran Balligan. And it's the first taste we're going to get to see of him in a U.S. shirt that's not just for a social media photo shoot. So I, I'm pumped to see that. I think this is a really strong group that should be absolutely favored to win this competition. Do you uh, think that they'll play music every time he touches the ball in the stadium? Like I mean, they should, they yeah. absolutely should. Like some something classical, something classy. No, I think, that's I think what it'll be something Balligan. cool, like what they did for his release videos. Oh, I so see. Like, can we get oh, the you same... picked the U.S., so we'll play like cool rap music over what every touch you make. Let's get the same like British guy to do the announcement or whatever as well. I don't, I don't <laughs> actually remember who that was, but there's like some voice I didn't recognize doing voiceover. For that I, whole I have video. no idea what you two are talking about. Taylor didn't watch the video, and it's really showing not. right now. Um, yeah, it's really showing. That must be embarrassing. Taylor, <laughs> have you ever seen a player drape a flag around their shoulders in a closed studio and have cameras move around them? Because if you haven't, you should watch it. Yeah, you've probably never seen that before. Yeah, um, I don't even have a joke. Just, <laughs> just know I haven't, and I'm not sure I need to. Go ahead, Joe. So, I, I, like I said, I like this team. I think it should be Matt Turner in goal, and, and we can go through the rest of the lineups. Well, can I ask I first, want... Joe, is yeah, there anyone ahead. who wasn't hurt that you thought should be here? Because uh, it is a long list of injured players. I, it is a long I, well, list. Well, Joe thinks about that. Yeah, go ahead. Can I, can I jump in, Joe, just to say the other one that I saw, a few people who seem to tweet about him pretty consistently uh, wanted John Brooks involved, oh, as always. Oh, John Anthony Brooks, you say? John Brooks, yes, I did. Uh, and I love that uh, BJ Callahan <laughs> was asked about him and gave the exact same answer that we've been getting about John Brooks, except now it's about preseason. So it's that he has to show up and prove he's ready to work in preseason for his club for us to know that he's still got it. That dude is just, he is at the DMV and they are never calling his ticket, but he is waiting to see if that ticket gets called. His his can is just getting kicked further and further down the road until he retires. And it's like, well, you know, it's a little late at this point for John Brooks. Like he's a little too far gone in his career. That is one that I would have liked to see. Oh my God. I'm optimistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's not old, but he didn't Holy have a good club season last crap. year and, and didn't play a lot. So I can understand him not being brought in. I would have liked to have seen it because I think John Brooks at his best is still a very good soccer player. The problem is I don't know for sure that we're ever going to get John Brooks at or near his best. Uh, so so that is one absence. I saw Mark McKenzie had uh, an, a nice Instagram post about yeah. him being omitted. It was the, the Nick Young swaggy P like meme with a question mark above his head, sort of in his, I guess, confusion that he wasn't called up. I, I don't care about that at all really he was, I don't, the, I don't, he was the one that stood out to me i do you, i mean but like is, is it enough to get in a tizzy about like no, no of course not well, right it's it's not like there's a big obvious world where mark mckenzie is is a better option than trusty or zimmerman or robinson or richards who are the four well, if we're having this squad. conversation though i think the thing that stands out is mckenzie was on the roster has had a good year for a competitive team at a high level so for him to come off the roster i think is interesting and obviously we don't even know who the actual coach. We don't even know who actually decided this stuff. Yeah. Well, but I think I, it's fair for his complaint. And I think that was probably of the healthy available players. The biggest name that popped out of like, oh, OK. Um, I don't I don't. Well, sorry. Sorry. One one thing on that. I don't I don't know exactly what you mean by he was on the roster, right? Like he didn't go to the World Cup. So he wasn't one of the top four center backs there. Fair. It was CCV. I mean, like McKenzie and Trusty and, and CCV, I think it's a level above those players, but they're both like just on the fringes every time. And so when you're missing a Tim Ream and a CCV, you're probably going to get at least one of those players, Trusty or McKenzie. It happened to be Trusty who's also playing at a high level. Like the championship is probably a stronger league than Belgium's top flight, and at least in, in sections. So Again, that, that's an absence. I think Malik Toman also might be dealing with a he's little hurt. bit of an injury. Yeah, yeah. so hurt. there's another one for the absences list. In terms of the top group with healthy available players, I think this is about as good as you get. The only other question is, 
you know, did it did it make sense to save some of these players for the Gold Cup? Like maybe it would have been better to see. I mean, I'm even struggling to come up with names like Taylor Booth, but he might move from Utrecht, so it probably makes sense for him to be back with his club team. That's the only other thing is like maybe it w- would have made sense to save some of these legs for the Gold Cup. But I'm guessing we'll see yeah. some of these players, and and a lot of these guys are going to be in transfer discussions this year. Like a lot of these players from overseas are likely going to be moving, and so in in some ways for their careers, which also have an impact on the future of the men's national team, it probably makes sense to let them go and have something of an offseason and a preseason with wherever they're going to be next year. So, yeah, I, I have a hard time finding much fault with this squad. One one thing I'd like to note uh, that we've I'm going to guess in the time since we talked about it, we've already gotten a tweet, depending on if any John Brooks truthers still listen to the Total Soccer Show. I don't know if they do. Uh, Brooks did have... I think a better season than I expected him to. So he moves to Hoffenheim after it is unsuccessful with Benfica. I think he starts 15 of their last 15 thereabouts. Hoffenheim avoid relegation. He was their player of the month to end the season. Uh, but to bridge bridge the divide of what we've already talked about, I think Goss hit the nail on the head. I don't think BJ Callahan selected this team. Uh, I don't know if Anthony Hudson selected this team. I who's feel like do, it was who's probably, doing it then? Who's? I think it's like. I think it's, I think it's a group of. I think it's a lot of different U.S. <laughs> soccer personnel. I don't of. understand what's yeah, going. Exactly. Matt Crocker's not even in the office yet. I don't understand who's <laughs> doing Cindy this. Cindy Parlow Cone. Oh my I, I think word! It, I'm gonna guess it is sort of a like here are the people that we were sort of going with under Greg Berhalter. Yeah. Here are the people that we need to add to it. And and I think. When there is a new coach, if there's a new coach, which I'm still not sure that we're going to get a new coach, uh, but if there were to be you think one, the U.S. will never have the U.S. men's national. No, it's going to be interim coaches from now on okay. until eventually Clint Dempsey takes over. So I guess it will be Clint Dempsey one, and day. then he'll just bring Eddie Johnson back. That was my way of saying I think Greg Berhalter is going to be the coach. Uh, but um, I think short of that, I think John Brooks, if there's a new coach, he'll get a look when there is a new coach. But right now, it's basically he's not in that group. I think probably the same goes for Mark McKenzie. So I think that would be the main reason why John Brooks isn't there aside from everything else that's happened with, with in the past. But wanted to just clear that one up really quickly before we get into the position groups themselves. Uh, looking at the goalkeepers, there are four there. There are 24 on this roster uh, right now, so I'm guessing we're going to lose one of these goalkeepers. Uh, Drake Callender, Josh Cohen, uh, Sean Johnson, Matt Turner. Uh, Joe, you have Matt Turner dropping out, correct? Yeah, Turner's Turner's too good for this. Actually, he, he's not a Nations <laughs> League guy; he's a World Cup guy. So we're just you, yeah, no. It's 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 probably going to be Josh Cohen. I imagine that that gets dropped, but it's it's going to be one of Cohen or Calendar. You'd have to imagine, unless. Sean Johnson just like goes back to Toronto because they just, I mean, I don't know what the inner workings are going to be, but Matt Turner should start. It's fun to see Cohen in camp. It's fun to see calendar in camp. Uh, I, I like this group of four, especially with Horvath and Stefan injured, but yeah, it's, it's Turner's spot between now and 26. So just going back a little to what Joe said just previous about the roster. I do think there's been an assessment inside us soccer, which is like when we have these double summer things, cause this is now the second time, it is healthier for the European players to come play immediately after their season and then be off. And I think MLS takes some level of break for gold cup and not for this. So like, I wouldn't be shocked in what I'm saying is if Drake calendar is the one that leaves and Josh Cohen stays because Drake calendar will be on the gold cup roster is my assumption as an MLS player, base player and whatever. And, and Josh Cohen can then go into his off season to prepare for Haifa. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Gus, Gus really hyped up Haifa there. Uh, so I love Haifa. Haifa is a great city. All right, 
I, I, I cannot attest to that because I have never been. But That's David Goss says it, and, and David Goss, as we know, does his research. Uh, but if we're picking our starting 11s, I'm assuming we're all penciling in Matt Turner for that game against Mexico to yes. start there? Yep. Okay. Uh, let's move to defenders. Uh, I'm going to assume we're going to stick with the back four. We've got Serginho Dest of AC Milan, says the roster. That's a big question mark. Chris Richards, Anthony Robinson, Miles Robinson, Joe Scally, Austin Trusty, Walker Zimmerman. Uh, let's go position groups to start. Joe, who are your starting fullbacks from that list? Okay, I think the fullbacks are easy. I think the center backs are a little bit harder. So I'll, I'll start with Dest on the right. He hasn't played. The last time he played was for the U.S. in in April against Mexico in that game in Glendale. So I think it, it makes sense to get him some reps. He's in the shop window. He's just the best right back that the U.S. has right now. He's going to be on the right. Jedi is going to be on the left. Joe Scally's ready to deputize at, e- at either spot um, if he can understand the tactics. So that's, I think, you know, going to be an important part for all this. But I've got Scally as, as sort of the flex guy for either side. Second if he can understand the tactics? There, there was an interview uh, that I think was on Football oh. Americas with Hercules Gomez and Sebastian yeah. Salazar, where they were asking him, I think, about Greg Berhalter and trying to get his perspective uh, and yes, asking yes, good yes, questions. Yes. And, and Scali said something about, you know, the things being too complicated, basically, is the, is the bit. Gotcha. Glendale, yeah. um, you... by the way, is Joe's Haifa. He has yeah. to get Glendale in <laughs> that's there. That's so <laughs> pathetic. Like, that's so sad. I hate that so much, but I'm not sure that you're wrong. I always thought it was Scottsdale, but that's that's good to know. Um, in terms oh. of players, Joe, you talked about it with Des there. Like, I don't know which player is happiest to be in U.S. camp to not be with their yeah. club or former club because Sean Johnson not having the best season with Toronto. That's <laughs> not a necessarily a Sean Johnson problem. Uh, Serginho Dest, Weston McKinney, Yunus Musa, Christian Pulisic. I feel like Weston McKinney is probably the happiest to be in U.S. camp of those names. Serginho Dest may be a close second. I think Weston McKinney is just always the happiest, regardless of what's going on. So <laughs> Unless he's leaving Leeds, and then well, then he's pretty happy to be leaving, maybe yeah, less so to be on yeah. the pitch. Yeah. McKinney and Dest, and, and I mean, a lot of these guys, like I think they really enjoy being around, but both of those two players are near mm-hmm. the top of the list for sure. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Goss, uh, Joe's fullbacks also yeah. made sense to me. Any yeah. disagreement there? No, not at all. All right, why don't you tell us your center backs? Which I did find. I think the center backs is the hardest. The hard, the center me. backs. Yeah, the center backs are obviously the hardest amongst the back five. I don't know if they're the hardest on the team. I think it's safe to say at this point, even coming back from injury, that Walker Zimmerman is a starter. Um, without Tim Ream, I think he's like first starter on the list. Then you get. I like that you said this was easy, and then everything you just said ended in a question mark. Oh, I didn't say it was easy. Oh, okay. No, I think no, you're no, saying no, I think this is oh, difficult. You're other positions are, yeah, yeah. are harder. I gotcha, um, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It, you get into a tough spot because I think you look at players and then you look at pairings. And so probably from a player point of view, Miles Robinson is on that. They're both right-footed center backs. Neither of them is elite with the ball. And so you kind of get in a spot where what is the coach going to do? Put the two best players out there or try and put together a pairing? And that's where it becomes really tough that like, we don't have a full-time coach. We don't know what we're building towards. We don't have – I could go back and look at B.J. Callahan's Villanova teams and sort of see what aspects he looks for from his center but I don't think I'll be able to find that. Yeah, hey, guys, so, don't, don't do don't do that. <laughs> so I feel like he might actually do that. I know. I wouldn't be shocked if Austin Trusty started this game because he's okay. playing more than Chris Richards right now and because he's left-footed. Okay. So Goss is going Trusty and Zimron? Yes. All right, Joe. I have the other two. I've got Robinson and Richards. Um, <laughs> nice. I won't. I won't really be surprised if any of Zimmerman, Richards, or Robinson start. I will be surprised if Trusty starts. That just feels a little out of left field. Although I so understand Richards, what you're saying there, Goss, about about his pairing. Go ahead. No, Richards. I was 
who I was thinking, but he hasn't played. Yeah, he, he last played in April for Crystal Palace. So he hasn't been around. And so that's the one caveat. If he comes into camp and it's pretty clear that he's a level below both fitness-wise and, and sort of sharpness-wise, I would go Zimmerman. And I would start Zimmerman and Robinson. Those two have played together before. They're fairly reliable defensively. You're, you're not going to get a ton from them on the ball. But like at a certain point, you kind of have to live with that in the spirit of match sharpness. So if if Richards isn't ready to go and doesn't look like he is actually able to bring it, then I would go Zimmerman next to Robinson. But either way, I've got Robinson in the 11. I think he's just you know, one of the most talented center backs in the pool. And then Richards next to him would be my first choice pair. I had Zimmerman and Robinson just yep. to round it out. So Fair. All different. All different. All three of us. Let's yeah, go. Why not? I just feel like it's going to be the, the the most senior player and then the player that probably would have been at the World Cup had he have not gotten injured. I think that's probably... I, I'm kind of going path of least resistance here if I'm uh, BJ Callahan and Patrick Zahulahan. Uh In the midfield, I think we have our first sort of disagreement because I think... I'm going to guess that Goss has it as single pivot in that 4-3-3 if we're going to stick with that. I'm going to guess Joe and I have something closer to a 4-2-3-1, so a double pivot there. So I had uh, Musa and McKinney as the kind of two deeper midfielders in the center of midfield for the U.S. with Giorena starting ahead of them. Yep, I've got the same, although it's I'm never I'm never setting up this team in a 4-2-3-1, really, in, in how I have them lined up. Like right, it, it's, it's basically gonna be in the same No, so th- there's no elements here, Taylor. It's all it's basically all about it's all about <laughs> I can't do it. Uh, I do want to have Musa and McKinney as a double pivot, but I want mm-hmm. it to be in like a three two five, basically. Like, you know, one of the shapes that we usually see possession teams adopt. The US have done it a bunch, or at least some under Greg Baralter. It's the back three, so one of the fullbacks will stay a little bit deeper depending on the moment. Mostly Dest, maybe a little deeper and tucked a little inside. And then you've got McKenney and Musa as that platform for the front five to play off of. And the front five will be the other fullback and then the wingers, Gio Reyna and the nine. And they'll pop up in different vertical channels across that stretch. So it's like Reyna in the half space as my number 10, basically, but not fully yeah, central, not fully mm-hmm. wide. Yeah, gotcha. And then Musa mm-hmm. and McKenney as the double pivot because... There's no Tyler Adams. And I think the drop-off from Adams in this camp with no Kellen Acosta, with no James Sands, like I think the drop-off is, is pretty strong. And even if those players are there, there's a big drop-off. I would rather maximize my talent, even if maybe I'm, I'm losing a tiny bit of defensive solidity with Musa and McKenney as the only two real central or, or slightly defensive-minded midfielders. I, I just don't trust Johnny Cardoso to do the job as a single pivot. So I went with the double. Mr. Goss? Do you uh, trust Johnny? With my life. I think both of you I, I think both of you are right in a lot of elements, and I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, I do believe Mexico will have more of the ball. Yeah. And so I would probably say that I would set the team up the way you guys are talking about in the final if they made it. Because um, as good as Canada has been, I think their weakness is in central midfield. And so I think you could dictate the play. What I'm saying is I don't trust Musi and Musa and McKenney without the ball consistently as That's two fair. center mids chasing, tracking, closing down gaps, yeah. being a shield for your back line. And that's where I think I think it will be a double pivot. I think it'll be Weston and Johnny and Musa will sort of be a 10. It's not really a 10, but if you have Gio Reyna and Pulisic, you don't need a 10 because they're both coming into that space consistently as well. Um, so that my, my guess when seeing the team come out was Musa McKinney and Johnny. Um, I think Luca Delatore sort of proven he can't play that spot. And so he's more of a fill in for one of those other two. And that's where I fell. Um, but yeah. 
Yeah, I don't I don't love the Musa McKenney double pivot look. Like I think it makes a lot more sense in a game like this against Mexico where it could be a little more open and, and you might need some of that defensive solidity. I think it makes sense to have Adams alongside one of those two or to go with the MMA midfield. But with Adams not available, while I agree that Musa McKenney is is not the ideal defensive setup, we just haven't seen it enough, right? We just don't we don't know or have enough evidence to think that they can do it really well in every phase of the game. I think we have even less evidence. If anything, we have evidence to the contrary that Cardoso can be like a, a productive member of the midfield. Yeah, he's a body, but I almost think you'd be better off just putting Musa as the six, telling him to stay home and roam side to side, and then going De La Torre and, and McKenney as the two eights if you really want to keep that midfield shape defensively. So I, it, it's difficult. This is the one area of the team that is absolutely, like genuinely impacted by the roster absences. And it seems like it was impacted because it sounds like with Kellen Acosta's injury last week, they just didn't call him because this isn't a tournament. I think that's the other thing that's weird about this roster is like, it's two games in a short span. It's not like, oh, we'll call him in and then he'll grow into it or we'll see how he is and then we'll swap him out. I will say since we last saw Johnny play for USMNT, he has become a full-time starter for what was the second place team in Brazil last year. He has started three Copa Lib games this year. Like he has taken his game to another level at his club. I will not say that I watch a lot of international games, so like I'm not an expert on it. But I think there's space there to say if they called him in, he's the only guy who plays this role, that there's an ability for him to earn the starting spot and show that he has improved from what we thought because we didn't think Kellen was a national team player anymore. And I think there are a lot of players who have gone on that list over the last five to eight years who have come back in and had performances where you're like, oh, either they've understood the level at it in a different way or their game has developed. Joe, is it the case for you, like, is Goss on the gram level of when he says he hasn't watched Internacional that Lies. much that you assume it's, like, <laughs> only, like, 15 games or something? Right, That's I mean, it. I missed, I missed like, the second half of that one that one midweek yeah, exactly. late night game, but the exactly. rest I did watch. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> Uh, and as a person who drafted Alan Senora into his USMNT 11, uh, you all are sleeping on Alan Senora. I love Alan Senora. starting. But, yeah, um, he won't start. Let's do this. Let's take a break. Uh, we'll come back and we'll round this one out because we've still got the forwards to discuss. Final notes on the USMNT. Then we've got a little bit of CCL, a little bit of Phil Neville, uh, maybe some other things. We'll see. Back soon. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach, well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. 
So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Welcome back. We are building our ideal US M&T starting 11s. A little bit of conflict, a lot of bit of overlap. We'll see if that continues with our forwards. We've got seven options uh, in the attack. Brendan Aronson, Falarn Balagan, Taylor Booth, Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, Tim Weah, Alex Zendejas, Joe you emailed ahead of time to say that you are starting Brendan Aronson, Ricardo Pepe, and Alex Zendejas. Is that correct? Oh man, that I hate every. No, I don't hate every part of that, but I hate a lot of. of that. I can list. Um, I can list the order of you hating most to least. Yes, please do. That I, I would like that. I'm going to assume it was starting Brendan Aronson, then it was Ricardo Pepe, and the least, the one you hated the least was Alex Zendejas. I think that's correct. I'm not sure if that's like how I should feel. I think I should feel better about Brendan Aronson. Um, but I don't I don't feel good about it, Taylor. I don't feel good about it at all. You just so my, don't hate Zendejas as much because you don't know him that well yet. That's right. Give it time. Give it time, yeah. everybody. That's all it takes. <laughs> uh, I got Balogun as the nine, and I've got Gio Reyna. Like I said earlier, he's like a half-space guy, so number 10 defensively next to Balogun in the 4-4-2, and then Reyna shifting a little bit wider into the half-space on the right. Christian Pulisic then on the left half-space, and so those two players will have some level of freedom 
they're technical. I think it makes sense profile-wise, at least. It certainly does for Reyna, maybe slightly less so for Pulisic, but it works for this context. And then Tim Weah wide on the right side. So if I'm keeping Des back a little bit, Weah is going to provide width opposite Jedi and then Balogun in the middle. So it's it's kind of a, a 4-4-2 defensively that shifts a little bit in possession. I think there is like, I know this sounds complicated. I think there's a real chance this happens. Maybe it's just because I've explained it poorly. It's really not that complicated. We saw them do pretty much this exact thing in <laughs> Nations League in, in the qualifying games to get here back in March. Like it's in the bag. BJ Callahan's been there for all this stuff. Like he's been around for years. He knows how this works. He's 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 coached soccer games before. I I think there's like a at non-zero the chance that this too. is the exact at the Big East level, the top of the game. <laughs> um, that's I I have nothing else to say. This is this is what it what it's gonna be. You, I have the same front three. Gas, go ahead. You have the same front three. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your guys are gonna be different than mine because. <laughs> you have Reina as a 10 right, right. playing as a yeah. double pivot. So I can't Reina have on a that. Wing. Yeah. Um, I actually don't. So, oh, so you, you, you don't watch soccer then is what's happening. Yeah. Is that, I'll is put my hand in, in the lion's mouth here and whatever. I have Pulisic, Balogun and Timothy Weah. That's in my yeah, mind. Exactly. At this point, Timothy Weah is starting every soccer game he's available for, for the U S until we reach a point where he has done something where he's not Pulisic's obviously starting and, Man, it would be ballsy to not start Florian Balkin in this is, first game. Gus, now is that the, you've it, committed, ride that ride yeah. that pine, son. Hey, now that you've committed, I don't know if you've seen Jossie's artist play, but like you're gonna have to build your way into the team. Um, so yeah, and then Balkin up top. Now, again, I think part of this to me is the Mexico matchup of like you'll be against the ball a bit, the work way it does, and obviously has yeah, started. It's across the back line, but that only adds to like why he's useful in this team. And as Joe sort of described in the setup I have, now you have Reina and Pulisic both coming inside, both filling similar spaces. There can be interchange there that can be dangerous. It can also sort of get a little bit messy and in the same way. So therefore this sort of fits cleanly. You have a Reina who hasn't started a ton was super effective coming off the bench for Dortmund, unfortunately, in the league finale. Um, and I, I think, honestly, you just, like, just test Claudio and be like, we're not going to start him. Text us. We dare you. No, I'm just kidding. None of that involved. This is always going to be a thing. Like, this is the beauty of what this team is now, which is there are more than 11 available starters. Or in some of these positions, there's more starters than players. Yep. Sorry, more starters than spots. That would have made more sense. So you're always going to have these debates. And I think then, if you go to a final where you have more of the ball, Reyna's a starter locked in. Maybe you shift the midfield and then that brings him in there. Um, but this is my group that I think I feel most confident about. And to me, it actually goes to what Taylor said about the center backs, where I think this is the least path, path of least resistance in terms of the starters. So we have our respective starting 11s. The big question remains for me with uh, a new interim coach uh, and some new faces in there. I don't think we would have been expecting to play Mexico in the first game. It always feels like that's going to be the final. Uh, how apprehensive are you all that this Nations League semifinal is the only game they play in this tournament? I, and I will go ahead, go first and say not that much. I think I'm having a hard time putting a ton of weight behind the Nations League and the Gold Cup this time around. I like the yeah. Nations League. I think it's a really important competition. I think the Gold Cup is as well. Uh, but I think for the the interim nature of things that U.S. soccer is still sort of making those steps, it, it doesn't feel 
nearly as critical as it has in the past. Obviously, the lack of a, a looming World Cup is part of that, too. Yeah, the, the lack of the looming World Cup is is big, and the fact that it's it's the first Nations League in the World Cup cycle rather than the second, like the last one we had, which was the first one we had, was in 2021 with the World Cup in 2022, and so it, it felt a lot more urgent. There is not as much urgency this time around. Still, though, if you're asking me if, if I'm afraid that the U.S. is going to lose this game, I mean, there's always a chance of that, especially in soccer. I think that's always a risk, but... The talent here is so real. Like, they have absolutely the most quality of any team in the region right now. That Again, that doesn't mean that they're going to win this thing. But, I mean, you look at these players, and, and this is the best squad. It's better than the squad that Canada's going to bring, although there's real talent there. I don't want to dismiss that. It's better than the squad that Mexico's going to bring. Ditto for what I just said about Canada. But, like, th- this is a really good team with players that are fully capable of getting it done. The biggest reason I'm excited, and we'll talk more about this tomorrow, genuinely is Balogun. Like, I think this is a, a difference-making thing for the U.S. I think it could change their makeup and, and really the, the ceiling for this team going forward. And then to loop all the way around to your question, Taylor, about being concerned about only one game, I'm 0% concerned about that because even if they lose, they'll play in the third place game. Boom. Is that a thing? Oh, yeah. Is there yeah. a third place game? I think so. Actually, I'm not as sure now as I was like two seconds ago before you I did, I didn't me. watch it last time because the U.S. was in the final, so I didn't even process that it exists. I think it's a thing. I'm like 90% sure it's a thing. 94%. Well, I can guarantee you Canada fans are going to be mad at me because I've inserted them into the final so many times that they will probably lose to Panama and then be in that third place game because I've just assumed they're going to win. Um, but I sort of fall with you guys. Of, I'm not worried about it. It doesn't change the reality. Um, I think also having a gold cup is like there's more work to do this summer for the pool, for players, than just like you have two games, one shot to like do anything of value in a competitive environment that's not a friendly, and then you lose the whole thing. But there is a limit to competitive games before a World Cup if you are the host. We understand that you're, the U.S. has a chance to play in Copa America here. Okay, that's great. You don't have World Cup qualifying. And when you look back at the last cycle, the team went from like fun and can do things to tough and learned how to win through World Cup qualifying. You have lost that. So playing Mexico in a competitive game in front of a sold-out crowd in a tough atmosphere has value. And I think if we see a team that isn't capable of like just performing, not tactically dominating, not having the best ideas, not the best starting lineup, whatever, but if they come out and like don't compete, I think that will that would be the most worrying thing. All right. Well, we shall see what happens. I'm already worried. You all have done a great job of making me feel that way. Thank you both for that. Uh, I was very worried about LAFC's chances in the second leg of the CONCACAF Champions League final, and that turned out to be the correct feeling. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, Joe. Uh, David, I'm sure you've talked about it on on extra time at this point. Uh, Did that second leg play out roughly how you thought it would, or were you sort of more optimistic heading in? Yeah, I thought... At worst, it was going to be LAFC pouring on chances and not getting the goals or giving up stuff on the counter, and that wasn't the case, right? Steve Trondel comes out, plays five in the back, sits deeper, has less of the ball, and less of the ball is not really the issue. It's more a line of confrontation with LAFC, especially over the last six months of like they've become a pressing team against the ball, and then and then where your numbers are if you were to turn it over or where you create turnovers to then be aggressive in the attack. Um, and that wasn't really the team we saw. And so it didn't play out the way I expected. Coming out of the first leg, I wasn't shocked that they lost. I thought Leon showed man for man that they could be dangerous. And so when you have a team that shows that they can break down defenders, like 
somewhat consistently over the course of the game, you're always going to create chances. LAFC is always going to have moments where they're going to be scrambling, which is dangerous. And then Leon showed they were capable of putting away those chances when they have them. They had some depth. They brought a Joel Campbell off the bench, who's been one of their biggest performers over the last few years. So they had, and they had to do it in the first game. I think they brought Mena in off the bench or Elias, one of the two early on because of an injury. Like this is a team that had depth to handle the situation, a pretty decent atmosphere. Like there was a decent amount of Leon fans there. It wasn't the most intimidating thing as epic as it was. And I think the atmosphere is one of the things for the second time in a year, you walk away from being like, what happens in LA, I think is unique and special. Um, But that sort of was the frustrating part, I think, is it didn't play out the way I expected. And for LAFC, it was like a massive opportunity that goes missing. It takes a year to get to this point. You have to qualify from the season before. You have to go through the tournament to get to a final. So like at the earliest point, LAFC is a year away if they perform now in MLS. Like the challenge is not, oh, well, you went to a final, so that just flips to the next season you already qualified. And there's a lot of work for LAFC to do to get back to this point. And I don't think they set themselves up to take advantage of what they had here. And it may be the last chance for a Carlos Vela or some of these pieces to have won a CCL. Uh, Joe, have you thought any more about CCL since last we spoke, uh, be it 24 hours ago? Yeah, mostly just reinforce my idea that LAFC kind of laid an egg in this one. They absolutely had the quality. Maybe they're the only MLS team or one of the only MLS teams that genuinely has the ability to go toe-to-toe with any team in Liga Mekis. And, and Lyon right now is not even the, the pride of Liga Mekis. So, you know, LAFC had a real chance to, to win this thing and to actually make it their own and become the second MLS team to do it. And, and they blew it. Like, the, the execution in the, the chain shape wasn't good enough. They were too aggressive defensively in moments when they, when they shouldn't have been. There wasn't enough compactness. They were naive and then not smart enough or ag- aggressive enough or, or savvy enough with the ball. Just not a good performance straight up from LAFC. There's a lot of, of bigger picture discussions that often go with this stuff, and Steve Torundolo did his best to steer the discussion in, yeah. the, in the big picture direction yeah. after the game. And, and some of that's warranted, less warranted for LAFC, certainly than any other team in MLS. I kind of already got to that. But I mean, the, the discussions about MLS and how they spend money and the roster rules and all that stuff will always pop up around CCL. And I, I think it is continually warranted until things change in a meaningful way. But I, I also don't want to let those things distract from the fact that LAFC were outclassed. I think they were outsmarted and they were certainly outplayed across two legs in this competition. Uh, all right. Well, we, we'll see what happens with uh, CONCACAF Champions League next year, obviously. Congratulations to Leon. Uh, do you all want to have the conversation about closing the gap, or do we feel like we've we've had that at various intervals and in various uh, formats multiple times? I think we can give it more space, and, and I think it'll be mm-hmm. extra interesting with Goss because he's been around the league for so long, because I'm not sure I've ever talked about a lot of these things with him on air before. I think we should save it and, and maybe do it as a couple of segments in a future show. That works for me. I got no problems with that. Um, if LAFC want to be able to to win it next year, do they need to bring in a Phil Neville as an assistant? <laughs> Is that what what they're missing? Is that the kind of the key ingredient? I have so many questions about Phil Neville because I, I don't legitimately <laughs> I don't pay that much attention to Inter Miami. Uh, they haven't been particularly good this season, but they're not a team that I like have a lot of love for. I don't dislike them either, but I think I'm watching DC United and I'm watching the teams that I find exciting for any number of reasons that hasn't been inter Miami, but they have stuck with Phil Neville for a good long while now. Are you all excited that this was the moment when they, when they pulled the trigger? I think I'm trying to set up that like, I would love to hear from a very basic background 
why Phil Neville has uh, been around and then why he is no longer around. The assumption is he was originally around because of his relationship with David Beckham. Um, so year one, Paul McDonough was in charge of the team. Paul McDonough then got fired. Turned out they also were cheating a lot. They had like four DPs. They were paying guys under the table. The whole thing was a mess. My understanding is from that moment on, David Beckham reinserted more centrally into the club as a sporting director-like type role. Chris Henderson coming on board. I believe David Beckham really liked Chris Henderson in the original interviews. They went with Paul McDonough. So like Chris Henderson being hired was already a nod that David Beckham was going to be more involved. And then Phil Neville being hired obviously was the biggest one, which is his like closest longtime friend who I think you could argue was qualified, like coached a little in Spain and then coached the England women's national team. Like there isn't really a formula for like what an MLS coach is. So I think you could argue he was qualified for the job. Um, does speak a little bit of Spanish, which is big in Miami and big with the uh, talent pool they were putting together. And then since Phil Neville's taken over, it's been an interesting sort of like knee jerk back and forth. There have been six or seven weeks where Phil Neville is the worst manager in the league and everyone laments him and it's impossible to figure out what he's trying to do and he's throwing his players under the bus and then he will bring those players back onto the field like he did with Gonzalo Higuain last year and get the best performances out of him we've seen and everything will be great. I think overall, Phil Neville was a good to better manager in Major League Soccer. The team is not a competitive roster and I think I was surprised he got let go because it felt like there was an understanding that they started the year. So last year, they were not a playoff team. In the middle of the year, they traded for Alejandro Pasuelo, who's a DP, one of the highest paid players or acquisitions in MLS history from Toronto, where it wasn't going to work out because of the Italians and Bob didn't really like him. From that moment on, they were one of the highest points per game. I know game. you mean for a second, but for a moment... It I know what you mean, but for a second, it sounded like you were like, Pozuelo and Italians don't get along. Yeah. So the Italians came in, Pozuelo had to go. Yeah. But yeah, I'm with you. Go ahead. Um, and then from that point on, Inter-Miami is one of the top teams in the league points per game. They made the playoffs. They were less competitive in their playoff game than expected, but yeah, it all smack. came together. They let Pozuelo go because they needed to leave a DP spot open to have Lionel Messi. Iguain also left. He chose to retire, which happens. They brought Campania back as a DP. So if you look at it, they lost two DPs from last year and didn't add one because Campania was already on the roster. They went and got Joseph, who's maybe better than what his tag is, but he's not at his elite. And then they lost the two best players on their team in Gregory and Jean Mata that the team was built on to injuries. Gregory for the year, Jean Mata now it seems like for about four months. I don't know an MLS coach that would succeed in this scenario, and I don't yeah. know an MLS team that would win. Yeah. So my assumption was David Beckham's guy. If David Beckham's the one pitching Lionel Messi, which you, I think we all think that's what's the case, you think Phil Neville's part of the pitch, it was a little surprising that now was the moment to change it. And I don't know what that means for what the next three months look like. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what Goss got to there. The other thing I'll, I'll add, though, I think I'm a little further down on Phil Neville as a coach, maybe than Goss, maybe than you are. I give them a lot less credit, Miami, for for figuring it out or, or whatever last year. I mean, they ended up at sixth in the Eastern Conference after finishing 11th in his first year. That was 2021. Sixth last year in 2022. 
thoroughly outplayed by NYCFC lose three nil in, in that game. That looked like a result that reflected the gap between Miami and the top teams in the Eastern conference. And then this year where they're rotting at the bottom of the Eastern conference, granted guys, I totally agree with the idea that I don't think Phil Neville or any coach is going to succeed with the roster they have now minus those two starting defensive midfielders. So I, I think generally Phil Neville was never really showed anything to be a good coach in MLS. Like I, I don't think he ever showed anything tactically or Maybe there's some man management stuff with Iguain that gets brought up all the time by by folks that they did a good job of challenging Iguain and bringing him back into the fold. That's fine. But like the, he never did anything on the field that, to come close to what Jim Curtin has done in Philly to try to elevate the group or, or, or to what Wilfred Nancy did in Montreal and now is doing right in front of our eyes with a second MLS team, which almost never happens in Major League Soccer. Like if Miami was a serious club and wanted to go out to do things to meaningfully improve their their roster they would have outbid Columbus or Wilfred Nancy. Like they would have gone to, to, to sign a, a coach that can make a real difference after two uninspiring years under Phil Neville. The, the last thing about this, though, is ultimately, whether Neville's here or not, I truly don't think it matters. Like I don't think Phil Neville's a guy that has enough sway to, to get Messi to join. We talked about that on yesterday's show. Like Maybe you need a Tata Martino for that. Maybe you need someone that Messi really likes, and you strengthen your odds that way. So maybe that's a way that you tangibly improve your team by changing your manager. But the reality is... Until you go out and sign a 10, whether that's Messi or another actual good player, and get your two starting defensive midfielders back, which probably will not happen together until next year, you're not winning anything. Like, it's, it's not going to happen. No, no coach is going to have overnight improvement with this team. This is a bad team with an already incomplete roster because they're still dealing with allocation money issues from the cheating scandal back in 2020. Like they were docked 2 million in allocation for this year. They're playing with a a slightly smaller deck than everybody else. The roster they built is incomplete because they've been waiting for that number 10 and their two most consistent players are both out with injuries. It's just a bad team. And whether Phil Neville's coaching them or not, they're still going to be a bad team. So maybe Neville got, got the wrong end of the stick here. Maybe he got a raw deal. I, I don't honestly don't really care about it one way or the other. The challenge is we're just all waiting and seeing what Miami are going to do in the summer. Let me just push back on one thing from last year. From the moment Pasuelo joined to the end of the season when they made their playoff run, I think they were a top five defensive team. And they started Damian Lowe, Amy Mabika, and Ryan Saylor as their center backs Squat in a up. rotation. With Drake Callender, who was basically a rookie in goal, who ended up goalkeeper of the year candidate. Neither of those three center backs that I just named start for their teams in MLS this year. Damian Lowe got the veteran of the group got traded for 250,000 in allocation. That is nothing. That is handing a player away. So like that, I do think Phil Neville did show an ability and they moved from a against the ball team to a possession team in the middle of the season. Obviously they acquired a player to do that, but like he was able to shift them. So I, I think, I probably am higher on him than yeah. literally everyone else that's yeah. not named Gary Neville. And I think that's fine. Or Neville Neville. Or Neville Neville. Or, yeah. or Harvey Neville. 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 Nev Nevs. Yeah. Um, but I do think he got, I do think he Nev actually Nevs. lost credit last year because the Iguain thing became such a storyline. Sure. The other 10 players on the field and what they did and the way they played, which was why I thought it was so disappointing the way they went out in the postseason being somewhat lifeless for a team that had played well going into that. Everything else, though, that Joe said, I agree with. Uh, we also have to add in for the Miami just situation. They paid $20 million for Rodolfo Pizarro, who is not even a starter in Major League Soccer, and they can't get off of it because he doesn't really have anywhere else to go. And why would he not keep getting paid? So that's another thing that you have to add in, which is they loaned him out last year. They lost the DP spot, but they loaned him out. 
So he at least wasn't on the team. Now he's back on the team. They've lost the DP spot because of that. So that whole thing is a mess. Um, so you always have to go back to, as Joe mentioned, what they're digging themselves out of and the stuff against them from before this group it's, took over. Yeah. Plus the holding a spot for Messi and a spot for friends going forward. Yeah, it, it's like it's like the Tottenham conversation we had on the big thing a couple months ago. And I'm really sorry, Tottenham fans. You're the one, I guess, that always, always comes Oof. back on this stuff. But my Oof. big point in that episode was we were talking about, like, what's wrong with Tottenham? What's wrong with Tottenham? My kind of point was, like, nothing really like until like they were performing at an expected level essentially. And, and they actually dipped and finished far below. They, they would have wanted to this season, but that can happen when your squad just straight up isn't as good as the top teams in the league. It certainly isn't as good as man city. Isn't as good as Arsenal. It's the same with Miami right now. Like my, my overarching point on this team is it can be Phil Neville or it, it, it could be Will Nance, frankly, like maybe they'd be 2% better with Will Nance coaching this team. But the reality is the roster is in such a place. They're, they're using DP spots on players they probably shouldn't. They spent money they certainly shouldn't, and they don't have enough money. They don't have as much money as everybody else because they did stuff and got caught, even though I think there are other MLS teams that are doing this stuff and haven't gotten caught. So and maybe that was just the raw end of the deal on that front. But, like, the squad's I'm just not, not good enough. It just, it just, nothing matters for Miami right now outside of the summer. It just doesn't. All right, a couple questions then. The first one. My assumption at this point is that Lionel Messi is not going to be playing for Inter Miami. It, would you all say that is the most likely scenario at this point? Uh, I, I would just because it feels like Barcelona are, are this massive wild card that we can't really pin down and nobody seems to be able to pin down. And then Saudi Arabia is very much on the yeah. table, according to reports. And so if you just divide those things up evenly or maybe give Saudi Arabia 33% and and I don't know, yeah. Barca 17 or like 20, whatever, whatever the numbers have to be. I think Miami is still probably the the lower option on the table. Well, then you should definitely not give Saudi Arabia 33% because then the numbers don't make any sense. Hey, hey Goss, Goss. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I shouldn't be a numbers right. guy. I shouldn't right. be calling out numbers here. I panicked, um, I panicked and I did bad math. I'm sorry. I saw I saw somebody speculate that because Benzema has gone, that, like that was the money allocated for the Messi signing. So no maybe way. that means he's oh, they're out of money. Like, oh, they've got more. They've got more. Saudi Arabia's out of money. Um, I have felt yeah. since the beginning... And I feel even stronger now that uh, historically, like Messi's camp has been really tight. And I'm pretty sure it's just like him and a few people. He doesn't have, it doesn't seem like 8,000 ad executives being like, well, here's all the money you'll make in the next 12 years if you go here. But here it is there. And I don't believe anything that anyone has said. And I think it's been pretty accurate that they've all been wrong. Right? Like Fabrizio Romano has told us, definitely definitively five times and they've all been wrong over and over again. And then he just shifts to the next one. Um, obviously we have reports coming out of the Miami camp. You have reports coming out of the Barcelona camp, originally the PSG camp and then others. It doesn't feel like anyone genuinely has a line into the messy camp. So the, that's my short okay. way of saying, I have no idea. I won't be shocked if he goes to inter Miami. Okay. Like, billionaires the, are billionaires. Is the idea then that, like, with the way the roster is constructed at present and the limitations that have been presented uh, past and present, uh, that Messi comes and basically, uh, like, everybody will just want to play with him? So, so, that, so that, like, people will pay, will get paid nothing to be able to play with Lionel Messi? Do you feel like that's kind of the strategy they're going for at I, this point? I'm actually coming around to the idea that it, it actually doesn't even matter what they do once they get him. Like, the whole thing is going to be a circus and a PR play and an experience. And, like, short of missing out on the playoffs so you don't get those extra games, 
because the way MLS is set up now, you'll get three playoff games. Like, I don't think anyone even cares except Chris Henderson. It's his job to like figure it out and the people under him and around him. Originally, no, by the way. Originally, the team was set up properly. Gregory covers ground. Jean Mata is a connector behind the ball. They signed a Ukrainian international center back. They have now traded for a Canadian international center back. And they have two center forwards who don't want the ball and are legit finishers. Like, a re- like the team actually is set up to drop him in and help him be competitive. Mata's gone. Gregory's gone. Although Arroyo actually has been a really good under-the-radar pickup to replace Gregory. Um, so, no. If you had the 10 and you had the centric central force of the game at his feet... They have three good center backs. They have a goalkeeper of the year candidate. They have DeAndre Yedlin as one fullback. They brought in an Argentine in his prime player at at the other fullback. They have Campagna. They have Joseph. Like, the pieces all do actually make sense. The reality of an MLS roster, sort of, if we were to have the Steve Toronto conversation one day, is DPs are so outside a salary cap that missing one or two or three is such a large disadvantage that your team doesn't look competitive because of that one moment or one player. Goss, do you think he'll be at all upset, Messi, that he doesn't get the opportunity to play with Breck Shea anymore? Probably. I I heard that the entire thing hinges on whether or not Robbie Robinson comes back from injury, but... (laughs) I'm sure that's a person... Again, I don't don't believe anyone from any camp, so I don't know if that's true. So then, okay, if Messi doesn't come... Uh, if Robbie Robinson doesn't end up being the final sway that we think he could be. Uh, w- like, is this just kind of a, a disaster of a season? Yep. Is this a season that, that Inter-, Inter Miami are just happy to, like, write off and come back next season stronger? Set it and forget it. Like, th- this will all, all right. be a waste if Messi doesn't come. They're not competitive on the field. They're they're not good to watch. They're not doing anything meaningful in terms of building. The roster is, is flawed because they're missing that number 10 and because – the DP that they signed to be that player in, in, in Pizarro just straight up isn't that player. So yeah, they could go out and sign somebody else and, and have a boost there and get ready for next season. Like they could go out and sign. They were linked to, shoot, I think he was playing in Argentina, like a, a pretty high value, maybe it was Brazil, a high value number 10, like younger kind of player, maybe in the in the Talos Magno kind of mold. Man, and, how tough would it be to be the not messy guy? Yeah, like, but I mean, there's a good chance that that's what it ends up being. And it's, building for next year or trying to salvage any hype. And they do go for a big name European player, what we talked about a few weeks ago, but it, it it's going to be a waste. It, it's going to be a waste. And I, the odds are that it's going to be a waste. I have made this joke a couple times now, but I, I've convinced myself. I think they'll trade for Bernadeschi. They'll literally do what they did last year. TFC signs DPs. They can't have, they don't know what to do with the guys. The issue is he speeds and smokes cigarettes. Like sounds like Miami, they did it with Pasuelo last year. He's an attacking central central force. Uh, if I was in Miami, he wants a clothing deal. I'm sure he can get Let me give you Miami a little too. pitch though. If I'm Miami, or if I'm a Miami fan, so one, you get it. It's messy, right? It's the greatest player of our generation. I don't believe any of the players coming up are going to be a messy level player, as good as Mbappe or Jude Bellingham or whoever else will be. Like we're talking a 50 year span. He's the greatest player. You get it. If it doesn't work out, what you walk away with and what you should is that Benjamin Kramaski is a legitimate young star. David Ruiz is a starter, under 20 player. Ian Frey, like if your team sucks, you're Miami. You are one of the talent rich areas in the world. Play a bunch of kids, 
give a coach some runway to build a system and like make the wasted half of the year worth it by setting up your team to hit the ground running next year and finally get rid of the Paul McDonough insanity that was the team. Find a place for Rodolfo Pizarro and get him out of your team. Like, so you could salvage this year without Messi by creating space to be the team you should have been from the start going forward. We did have, when last we had this conversation, uh, we did have the same conversation, but if you can't bring in Messi, who should you bring in? I think my uh, argument was take a shot at Luka Modric. I forget who it was. I apologize. Uh, someone, I think it was on Twitter, it may have been in the Discord, suggested the other one that maybe doesn't make as big of a splash as Lionel Messi, certainly, but does have a, a good amount of, of cachet, name recognition, would probably enjoy Miami, is James Rodriguez. Could James Rodriguez fill fill that hole? Does he make Inter Miami functional, no. or is it Bernardeschi all the way? It's it's neither, to be honest. Like if, if they don't get Messi, and, and I I don't think I brought this up on that show, and I should have, they should go young. Like like it, I disagree with Gaston that I don't think it would count as salvaging this season if they go out and, and start to make some moves. It would just be salvaging next season. Like like that's what it is. This season's a waste. Like it's not you're not salvaging this year. You're salvaging your future as a club. And James Rodriguez. Even three years ago when we talked about Hamas Rodriguez to Miami and it felt like that was maybe real, it was kind of a gimmick then. And it's it's like a it's like a dollar store gimmick now compared to Messi. Just forget it. Go out and try to be a real team. Like go find a coach now or or you know, interim until Messi doesn't come and then figure it out in the in the offseason and, and try to be like a serious team with a roster that makes sense and with some eye to the future. Because I I think Chris Henderson knows what he's doing. Like it seems like he's got a good reputation around MLS. Like People like Chris Henderson, and they think he's smart, and there aren't a lot of seemingly super smart and capable people in these positions around Major League Soccer. Go do the smart thing. Don't like try to salvage this wreck of a season by going out and signing a, a Hamas or something like that. Which is where you'd hope the Tata, if it is Tata, it is in unison with Messi, and you don't announce Tata and then Messi a month later, and if Messi doesn't come, now Tata Martino is your coach, which is a win-now move. If he becomes your coach, his expectation, as it should be, will be, I want in their prime players from these spots. Like, I want to build the team I already built, which was Joseph at 26 and Vialba at 25 and Carlos Carmona at 29. Like, that's a different team than probably where Miami is. Although, again, if Gregory's healthy and Mota's healthy, this is probably a competitive team. They're not going to win MLS Cup, but they're definitely a playoff team. So the pieces are somewhat there. Yeah, 62%, exactly. So the pieces are somewhat there. On the James Rodriguez side, no one wanted it more when before they came into the league than me. It made too much sense. But I don't think you go sign him from Olympiacos at this point. It's a little bit of a different vibe than getting I think his contract has been canceled. So I think oh, he's, cool. he's out there roaming free, my friend. Cool. Always so a good sign. Hanging out, eating Spanish copita. Yeah. Oh, and if it helps, his contract was canceled, I believe, uh, in early April, early mid-April. So that's uh, during the season, I think. That's always a positive sign. Uh, We have gone very long, my friends. But I really appreciate you all uh, spending some time talking about all the many things we talked about today. We probably could have made this two episodes if we wanted to. But instead, just the one will do. Uh, David Goss, thank you so much for talking about all the things we talked about. I'm not even going to recap. I'm just going to say thank you, my friend. Yeah. I've I made mistakes, so I think the thank you is like halfway there. 
Yeah, no, it, no, that's that's fair. <laughs> yes, uh, and Joe Lowry, a man who never makes mistakes. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, we're gonna forget the whole math thing, and I'm just gonna say thank you both. This was a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, <laughs> uh, thank you uh, for me as well. You all were both great, obviously. Listeners, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Mm-hmm.